You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening. Today you'll be hearing from Scott Schuler, a member of our teaching team, as he continues our series called Meeting Jesus. Most of us have some aspect of God that we sort of glom onto, and it becomes sort of the, our guiding theme. Uh, of all things, the thing that came probably, I, well, I think it's last, unless God comes up with something else, uh, is grace. The whole idea of grace just is so inconceivable to me, of that kind of kindness, that kind of openness, that kind of willingness to love me regardless of who I am. Nothing coming through? How's that? Okay. (laughs) Sounds pretty good. Well, the speakers are right here. Uh, I had a friend in a Bible study for a long time, uh, just a, a guy I really loved. Named, uh, I shouldn't talk him in the past tense, he's still alive. His name's uh, John Isaac, a guy that I knew. And the first thing John always thought of in prayers was grace. The very first thing. He would always. So we would pray together and I would pray, you know, um, about how holy God was and how perfect God was and how powerful God was and how wonderful God was. And I'd go through my list of adjectives, and John would start to pray and say, thank you for your grace. Every week, oh, how, how can you forget a thing like God's grace, the thing that reaches out to us in the midst of whoever we are and just loves us anyway, but it just, for some reason, the idea of being treated so well for somebody so unworthy and so persistently rebellious, just, it just didn't make sense. I wasn't capable of it, and I just didn't see how... God could be capable of it, except as we go along, we understand that God is just simply beyond all of our, our understanding. Saul, the, the word that all, that, it's funny, because when I think about myself, that grace came so slowly, but when I thought about Saul and his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, the word grace came first, because Saul was living a life where he, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, Saul was living a life that I guess if we can say these things, he was worse than I was, and he turned out better than I am. So he, he went the whole extreme from one end to the other, but I can, there, of the things I can say about myself, I have not tried to round up Christians and put them in the pokey. Uh, wasn't interested in hurting them, wasn't, I, I just didn't care for them, I just didn't like them, and I didn't want them voting. Uh, there's a lot of things about Christians that really got under my skin, but I didn't persecute them per se, that I know of. Not the way Saul was. Saul's encounter is um, the encounter with Jesus, which is the theme of this, this time. Uh, his encounter is pretty well known to us, and yet we can still read the words. And as is always true with the Word of God, something comes out that you just didn't quite see before. There's just, it just seems to be highlighted. Um, let me tell you what that is in a minute, but here's, this is the scripture passage. Um, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. 
I'm Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. When we read the Gospels, we encounter Jesus oftentimes talking to the Pharisees, of whom Saul was one. The Pharisees don't come across especially well in the New Testament, uh, being the ones who... um, uh, were oppressing the people, putting a lot of burdens upon them. They were, they were hypocrites. Jesus had many names for them which were not flattering, as he talked about them primarily as ones who not only weren't keeping the law, but they were hindering the flock, the, uh, the, the other people, from coming to the Lord as well. So they not only were, um, were not obeying themselves, they were a barrier. And they were preventing the people of God from knowing God because they stood in between them inserting all these rules that just couldn't be obeyed. And Saul was one of these people. Saul would have been one of the people who would have heard and understood Jesus had uh, a lot of uh, condemnatory things to say to him. And to, to hear these things, I assume, as a Pharisee, must have been tough. Because the Pharisees, I assume, their self-image was one of the people who were the most faithful. The ones who thought that they, of all people, had studied the word so closely and lived in it so closely, and the way that they were looking at things, they thought, we should be the last people that somebody should be picking on. We are holy, we, are, we work hard, we've given our lives to Jesus, we've obeyed the law, we've done everything we've been told, and here comes somebody telling us how wrong we are in the eyes of God whom we love. As Jesus described the Pharisees as he talked to them, Saul would have seen himself not only as a man of God, but also one of the elite. One of the things that Jesus accused the Pharisees of was that they were proud. They were boastful, they were arrogant, they felt like they had all the answers, they had begun to believe that they were um, uh, safe and infallible in understanding the law and putting it into practice and requiring others to do that as well. This idea of pride is um, uh, an important part of what Jesus spoke to about the Pharisees. And when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, he singled him out specifically as one who was actually doing the persecuting. We see the picture there of him standing by the side while people stoned St. Stephen to death. But uh, that's one episode that uh, was described of uh, Paul's participating. But he really, he was doing um, persecuting. Jesus said so. So his action, you know, we we hear Jesus say at one point in in the Gospels, those who are not for me are against me, which, which leaves out the whole idea of neutrality. There is no tra- neutrality. You can either be one or the other, but Saul was actively against him and working hard uh, in his way, believing he was right with God, persecuting the Christians. So he was a keeper of the law. 
He knew the law backwards and forwards. You know how it was with the Pharisees. They studied hard. They worked to understand these. They memorized them. They knew when the law was being broken, and they tried their best to uh, keep the law, even though we know also that uh, they didn't always understand the spirit of the law. In keeping the law, they saw God, of course, as a, as a, um, as a great rule maker, but they didn't really understand very well. They had, begun to for, they had forgotten God's grace, God's love, God's kindness, uh, the kind of things that God wanted uh, his people to do, besides just remember um, how many times to, uh, to say your prayers or how many things to bring to the altar as a sacrifice. So he was a legalist by definition, but also by proclamation. He would have declared himself to be a legalist and been proud of it, that he kept the law just fine, and as long as you kept the law, you were safe. Now, of course, we understand that legalism is not dead in, this, in the Bible today. I, was, um, I still have a tendency towards legalism myself because I can't stand being wrong. can't stand it. It's an idol of mine. And so we go to the scripture and read a commandment, and you get some kind of an idea of what side of the line am I on here? Am I actually doing what this says? And then uh, oftentimes uh, comforting myself by saying, yes, I'm okay. Um, might not be uh, an act of great kindness, but I believe I was in my rights to, to behave a certain way. If I can, we had a woman in the church when I was pastoring in Ellicott City, Denise knows this lady, who um, was, was, a, was one of the harshest persons that I ever met. Uh, she was, if I can, God, let me know if I'm going overboard with this lady. Um, she ruined every meeting she was ever in. She, w- she would interrupt, she would uh, condemn, she would accuse, uh, and then she would say, but I'm just being honest. God wants me to be honest. The law says we're not supposed to bear false witness. I'm just telling the truth. I'm just telling you that this person is an idiot. I'm just telling you that this law is stupid. I'm just telling you that nobody, this is when you know you're in trouble when somebody says they speak for the entire church. Nobody likes worship here. That kind of thing. A legalist. I'm doing what the Bible says without understanding the spirit of the law. Um, I actually like this lady. I mean, she was, you know, she, she was trying her best. She was doing what she could with what she knew, with how she understood it. It was our job to try to help her to see that uh, maybe you should go to God with this and give yourself to him and, in prayer and let him lead you to where he wants you to be without actually telling her that uh, you know, she was ruining everything. But the, legal, the idea of legalism is still with us and still is something which um, interferes oftentimes with our ability uh, and our willingness oftentimes to, um, to share the gospel and love of Jesus Christ. He would have been alert for signs of apostasy. And I, I think I've mentioned this before from here. A Pharisee keeping the law of God, working hard to, to keep the law in every way, can we imagine what it was like for a man with 12 people around him coming up claiming to be the son of God? How would that sound to a Pharisee? Uh, we, we look at the Pharisees now as people who really have to be dealt with, who really uh, were uh, hindrances, and they were. But trying to be a little sympathetic to Saul, how would that have sounded to have Jesus come up and say, I'm Jesus, you have to do things differently now. You don't, the law is actually hindering people's coming to me, to hear all these things. Everything you ever believed about God, or everything you ever have come to believe about God, was called into question, and, all, and some of them actually overturned. It must have been rough. Um, it must have sounded like a false prophet 
and there had been a lot of false prophets. So for Saul, this was not, a, this was not an easy thing. He was alert for signs of apostasy, and he believed in Jesus. He saw them. He believed in his followers. He saw apostasy, and so what he thought he was doing was right. Uh, he did it cruelly. He did it with a little more gusto than he probably needed to do, but at, the, but at the same time, he felt like he was on the right side of the law. He would have had an aversion to syncretism. Syncretism is a word we use and um, oftentimes. It's one of those words I can't find a better word for, so forgive, forgive me for using a word like this. But it involves bringing aspects of other faiths into your own because you like them. Uh, the Jews were continually guilty of these things, and so and uh, Saul would have known all this, that at many times in the past, the Jews would have seen some other element, some other God, some other teaching that they really liked, and say, I don't see anything wrong with this. We'll just bring it in and bring it into the temple. They did this all the time. And so Saul would have been interested in keeping an eye out for things like this, and I believe that uh, Jesus would have represented something like that, another threat that would have had to have been dealt with, expunged, corrected, and put behind us. The interesting thing about the uh, Old Testament, they're the keepers of the law, the first five books, the, the Torah. But the, um, the Hebrew readings, uh, writings also had a lot about the prophets. There were a lot of prophets who they paid a lot of attention to. So the Hoseas, the Isaiahs of the world, they paid a lot of attention to. And there was a lot in there about, you know, where they would tell you, I, I hate your sacrifices, I hate your feasts, I hate, you know, all these things that they were doing that were legalist, uh, through the prophets, was continually saying, these things are wrong, these things do not please me, uh, I would rather have love than sacrifice, you know, you know, these kind, I'd rather have obedience than sacrifice. There was an attitude of openness towards uh, acting according to the spirit of the law more than the letter of the law, which a lot of the Pharisees apparently just didn't get. Uh, they, they set those aside and said the letter of the law is easier, isn't it easier to understand anyway? It's in black and white. There are, what, 613 of them? You can go to any one that you needed to and find out what it is you had to do. Some of these other things where you were going by the grace of God or trying to behave as a, um, um, a servant of God were a little harder because they just didn't seem to quite have that uh, law specifying it that you could point to. In a way, sometimes I guess they felt that they were on their own. And there were also, of course, the teachings that the Messiah was coming. A lot of teachings that the Messiah was coming. Dozens of cases in the Old Testament where the, the prophets tell us about this, them coming, and Paul either was, wasn't looking, had forgotten to look, or just didn't recognize him in Jesus. I suspect that's what it was. Saul is a man desperately in need of grace because if it were not for grace, with Saul as with us, where would we be? Working on our own, trying our best to keep the law. Um, how many laws did, did we break this morning? You know, um, there's the old story about people trying to get the kids ready for church, trying to get them all herded together like a bunch of little ducklings, trying to get them in, you know, get everybody ready on time. And the things you say or the things you feel in your heart while you're on your way to church to worship God. We had a lot of episodes like this when I was a kid. Usually it was my fault, because as I, I think I've mentioned this before, I thought, I thought Sundays, with going to Sunday school, I thought Sundays had been stolen from me. The weekends are mine, and I don't see any reason why I have to put on a tie at 9 o'clock in the morning and go to a church that didn't have air conditioning and sit there and listen to somebody talk about something that just was incomprehensible and oftentimes, I'm afraid, boring. Um, 
Sundays were just uh, were, were terrible and the, the obviously not very holy thoughts. We are all in need of grace. Saul was in need of grace as much as the rest of us. Not more, not less. Uh, there are no rankings in, in this because as... Um, I'm getting ahead of myself a little, but as, as uh, Julie mentioned last week about the law, um, whoever has broken one element of the law has broken all of it, right? Um, doesn't matter if you've broken 150, doesn't matter if you break every law every day or if you only break one a week. The law is broken and you are in need of grace. In order to get into heaven, in order to be saved, you still need Jesus to atone for that one sin. If you only committed one sin in your whole life, it's enough to keep you out. And we need the atoning love of Jesus, the grace of God, to come down and and offer that to us and say, I'll pay it for you. Don't worry about it. Uh, I've got you covered. And obviously Saul was not perfect, as as neither of, of, uh, of us are. The funny thing is, he was lost in plain sight. In the middle of the temple, in the middle of the synagogue, a man in all of his robes, a Pharisee of Pharisees, as Paul describes himself, Uh, completely, apparently, in the good graces of God, in obedience to God, a member of God's household, was lost. Standing right there in the temple, standing right there in in the market square, talking about God all day long, and lost. Um... His being lost was not a matter of his performance, it was not a matter of his appearance, it was not a matter of his position. It was a matter of the fact that he was rebelling against God and he was standing and putting himself against Jesus and disobeying what it was that uh, the Lord was teaching through the, the law and the prophets. He persecuted Jesus and his people, and so he would seem to us to be a pretty unlikely choice. It reminds me a little bit of David when uh, Samuel went and said, okay, we're going to choose the new king. And the people were looking, well, who is the most kingly looking person here? I I know who the choice must be because this person meets all the requirements I can think of. Not only is he the firstborn, but he's he's tall, he's strong, he's good looking, he's very kingly, very regal. Put him into office. And the person who who, uh, God, of course, wanted, uh, his own father hadn't even thought of him. He was so lowly, he was uh, so unextraordinary that he was out in the field, he hadn't even brought him in for consideration. But this is who God wanted because God looks upon the heart. Saul, who had devoted his life to attacking the Jesus who came to save him, um, doesn't seem like a very likely choice to us as the person who was going to be so instrumental in the creation of the Christian church by the help of the Holy Spirit. If, uh, we had, if we were sitting on a, commit, a nominating committee in the year 34 AD and we're saying, who, okay, who's going to lead us now that uh, Jesus has been taken back up into heaven? Saul's name wouldn't have been on the list. Uh, in fact, Saul would probably have been, we need, somebody who, we need somebody in charge of the church who can help us fight this guy because this guy is going to be trouble from now on and we need to have some kind of an approach some kind of leadership that can help us counter him. But we know that God's no respecter of persons. He sees things we don't see. He has purposes we can't understand. Um, God is every bit as difficult for a human mind to grasp as the Bible says he is. Uh, We, sometimes in our pride, sometimes out of necessity, just human necessity, 
Um, we, like, we like answers, we like solutions, we like things to be spelled out. We don't like things to be too vague, we don't like things to be too mysterious, we don't like things to be too unpredictable. And with God, this is the only choice we have. We're dealing with a God who simply is so far above us as the heavens are above the earth. We just can't figure him out. We just recognize him as worthy of giving our lives to and following. He chose a man that no human being on earth would have chosen and said, this is going to be the man that I'm going to tell to preach to the uh, Gentiles and to the Jews. When Saul encountered Jesus, has, has any of you ever wished that you could have a Damascus Road experience? Wouldn't that be satisfying? Wouldn't it be great to be walking along someday and, say, and just have Jesus come to us this way and go, oh, okay, this is different, this is better, this I understand. Now I see in a way that I never saw before. I am better prepared, better equipped, better willing to go into the war, whatever, of the cultural, wherever we go, and say, I will stand for you against the powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. I'm your man. I see. I believe. I'm ready. We all don't have experiences like that. A lot of us come to the Lord sort of with a still small voice or whatever other. I'd, I'd like the idea of the the testimony we heard from Miss Maddie a few weeks ago. Are we going to have more of them? I hope so. Those are, those are great stories to, to be able to hear. Just everybody, the, the, the countless ways that Jesus touches the human heart and says, I want, I want to talk to you. I have something to say to you. I want you on my side. I want you working with me. Uh, I, have, um, I have a need of you. But when Jesus came to Paul... Saul on the Damascus Road, he wasn't the Jesus of Galilee anymore. Uh, it was one thing to turn down a guy in a robe, and I don't mean to, you know, but just how this would look to a non-believer. A guy in a robe with a couple of ragamuffin people standing along beside him who ate with, who ate with sinners, who did all these things that were inexplicable, that didn't fit the law, who just really was a, a troublemaker. Um, it was one thing to turn him down. It was another thing to turn down Jesus when he was in his full glory. Jesus, by this time, had reacquired his godhood. Remember what I mean? I don't mean this to be sacrilegious. What it says in Philippians is that when Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself of his godhood and came to earth in the form of a man. Now he had, he had it back. He was fully God again, sitting on the throne in charge, sovereign, glorious, perfect, all of the things that he emptied himself of to come here, he had them back. This is how, this is how Saul saw Jesus. It's a very different thing than seeing a man under an olive tree. So even someone who was persecuting him was um, awed and overwhelmed in his presence. Most of us, I think, have friends or family members that we... It's, it's funny how this works. I guess it's part of being human. When we think about who we want to come to the Lord, doesn't like one name pop into your head first before, and then you think of other people and other people? And maybe it's just me. In my case, the, when I think of somebody I want to come to the Lord very, very badly, one name pops into, into my head first. And this person is so proud that the idea of this person feeling humbled 
the idea of this person feeling overawed, of being unsure of um, him or herself, no clues. <laughs> um, the idea of them being humbled and willing to worship is just, I, I can't con- conceive of this person as a Christian. And I can, I, I can almost even picture this person standing in front of God someday and going, you know, where were you? You had your chance. You could have talked to me. All these, all these people telling me that you would have come to me. I don't understand why you just didn't come and gr- whatever. Would have been arguing. But no. What I do know is in the, in the presence of the holy God in his glory, all is the only response we will have. We are in the presence of something so great, so wonderful, so glorious, so perfect, so holy. It's just simply unlike anything we would have experienced here. We would have done the same thing that uh, Saul did. He had no choice but to just drop to his knees and cry out. God's glory just leaves us breathless. And as we know, who can see God's face and live? It's an overwhelming experience to be in the presence of a holy God. But by his grace, Paul, Saul's behavior, it didn't disqualify him. Uh, again, looking at things as we would, we would have said, what, you know, this, this is not the guy. Uh, what about you know, Peter? And Peter obviously had his, had his place. Um, for that matter, what, you know, even Bartholomew, uh, some of the disciples that are only mentioned in the Bible maybe once, we don't even have a quote from any of them. We would have said this would have been better qualified than a guy like this. But it didn't qualify him in God's eyes. By his grace, he looks upon the heart with his own purpose. And he works his will upon them, which is good for us, by the way. That uh, he'll look upon us the same way. We're not disqualified by anything we've ever done. Um, do, do any of you have some episode in your past that you would, just one, that you would do anything to have not committed? Just one. Can you think of one that I could, I could even live with the rest of them, but there's one in particular that if I could take this back, I would do anything. Is there one in particular that you think, I just cannot convince myself that God's forgiven, my, forgiven me of this? I must have asked for forgiveness for God for this particular sin a hundred times. Convinced that the 99th time didn't do it, that his grace is not as sufficient as I know it is. There's something in me that says I, I can't let go of this sin and convince myself that God has forgiven me of it. I'm atoning for it asking for his forgiveness for it yet. I don't know if any of you have had experiences like that, but I tell myself, and I know, it doesn't disqualify me from from the offer of salvation or of service to him if he wants me. God allows repentance, and God requires repentance. The turning around and walking in a different direction. I now belong to you. You are my leader. I don't follow the ways of the world anymore. I don't follow worldly uh, plans anymore. I don't have and uh, are dominated by worldly values anymore. You are my Lord now. I will follow you. He allows it by his grace. He requires it by his holiness. And repentance is ongoing. We see in Paul, as he writes the various books of the churches, this continual process his awareness of God's wonderfulness, his awareness of God's holiness, his continual need for repentance, his continued need um, to continue walking in the way, and his continued awareness of the fact 
that it's just very, very hard to do, impossible to do, through human effort. He fails all the time. One of my favorite scriptures, which speaks to me personally, is, you know, what a wretched man I am. I cannot do the things I'm supposed to. I can't avoid doing the things that I, you know, that I can't. This is a wonderful scripture. Good idea putting that in there, God. That one has really helped me. Um, it's, it's just impossible without God's grace to continue in the way. God's grace is that wonderful That whatever it is we have done, whatever it is we are doing, whatever it is we persist in, God is still willing to cover it with the blood of Jesus Christ that we can live and and continue to be a part of the body of Christ. But repentance is ongoing because as Paul also reminds us, as he learned himself, um, we we have to stay at it. We have to stay in repentance. Jesus is our leader now. Paul is a legalist found out that the law he was living that he had put such confidence in that he loved so much couldn't save him. Paul uh, knew that perhaps like no one else. So he made the transition through his repentance and the power and the glory of God, the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, he made the transition from the law written on stone to the law written on flesh. And again, while he might not have thought he was breaking the law, while he might have been keeping the law perfectly legally, nevertheless, If he stumbles at just one point, he was guilty of of, uh, breaking it and was in need of God's grace and forgiveness and salvation. So a repentant life, surrender to God, is one where God is, is close at hand, always, 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 always close at hand. How many times have we said sometimes, where are you? Life isn't working out like I thought. You know, you seem so far away. He's not, he's not far away. God is always close at hand, and he is always working within us for his good in ways we cannot see and understand. It's just over our heads. And Paul then remains faithful and in love with God. He remains in love with God the whole time. He was in prison. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was given over to all kinds of uh, torments. He he had the thorn in his side, um, never shook his love for God, because he understood that God's ways just are not our ways, and God is worthy of following regardless of whether we can understand where he's taking us or not. So God tested him through the thorn. He also rewarded him. That's actually the third heaven, seventh heaven. I just had that song in my head. Um, (laughs) But he took him up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Our life with God has its tests. It has its trials. It has its temptations. It has its triumphs. It has its blessings. Life with God, we are told, and we understand when we give ourselves to him. This is what life is. It's a sort of a well-rounded life that includes a lot of things. Sometimes, as a new Christian, we think, I don't understand why I still have to have these things. One of the hardest things, and I don't even know that we should tell this to a brand-new Christian, saying, you know what you're letting yourself in for, right? you got all kinds. No, not when they're a brand-new Christian. Let them, let, them wait, let them dance. Let them wave their hands in the air for a while. Let them rejoice. Let them feel glad. Let them be happy. They'll come to know in good time as they continue to draw near to the God that the time is coming when they will be tested and they will be asked to do difficult things with God's help and under God's grace, which makes it all doable. Not only uh, doable, but something to rejoice about. His grace is sufficient for us. Um... A professor in seminary used to like to say tongue-in-cheek when we were taking a test. He says, you will get all of the grace that you earn and deserve. 
that was funnier the second time than it was the first time. Because <laughs> the first time, I didn't get it. So I thought, okay, I'll work hard. I actually did. I thought I was, I was going, I'll work hard because I want, you know, I want his grace. Um, later on, I found out that the, I missed the entire point. His grace is sufficient for us. Imagine the grace of God, the grace of God for us, it's enough to cover everything. And in this grace, as often happens with us, Saul found out that he really hadn't been as pleasing to God as he had thought. This is why we always go to God in prayer and ask for him to open our eyes, show us, where, you know, where am I failing? Where do I need more help? Where have I convinced myself that I am right, that I am not? Just open my eyes. I want what you want. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to know you, understand you. I want to love you properly. Open my eyes to these things. Um, Don't leave me in a state of self-delusion that I think I'm pleasing you when I'm not. So he gets, as do we, a new understanding of who God is, as best as the human mind can grasp, the the, uh, infinite and the perfect. Uh, What he requires, what he asks of us, and how much he loves us. An incredible amount of love. How much he works on our behalf. How interested he is in our future. How much he cares about our response. How much it bothers him. Every ungodly thought we have. It bothers him. And everyone can be forgiven. Everyone can be um, uh, forgiven. He can turn it to his, to his own purpose. We get a new understanding of what pleases God. A life of humility, surrender, worship, and obedience. To the world, this doesn't sound like much of a deal, does it? The world, um, the, um, the world has a very dim view sometimes of, of uh, humility, of belittling ourselves. The world pl- uh, prizes pride and achievement and power, not surrender, uh, not worship. Um, obedience, depending on whether you're obeying me or whether I have to obey somebody else. We're called to this life, and it's a wonderful life because we have humbled ourselves, surrendered, we worship and obey the God, the one God, the perfect God who loves us and cares for us, allowed us to repent, repent, uh, required it, and then helped us every step of the way. We couldn't repent on our own. The Holy Spirit has to be there helping us. We can't do anything apart from God. Remember, apart from me, you can do nothing. Even our repentance, even our ongoing repentance, even our efforts to, to, uh, are all under God's oversight and power. So Paul would have come through his encounter with Jesus to remember the parable that Jesus told. Who would have been the more grateful? The, somebody who was forgiven little or somebody would have, who was forgiven much? The things that Saul was doing to Christians would have required, by human standards, I think, a colossal amount of forgiveness, an unthinkable amount of forgiveness, to have taken a debt of this size, of this magnitude, of this severity, and just wiped it clean and said, you don't have to worry about it anymore, it's forgiven, you are on my side, I love you, let's get going. He, he was tremendously grateful. He now lives only for the sake of and for the love of a marvelous and holy God, as do we, right? Does that describe us pretty well? We've given ourselves to God, we love him, we come to know him, we um, 
uh, surrender to him, we trust him, uh, we take him at his word, and we live for his sake. And that's part of the, the life of repentance that's ongoing. We're learning to do this more every day because we, there are still times when we live for our own sake. There are times when we live for the sake of people that, like our families and our friends, and we think, well, that's a, there's nothing wrong with that. God first. God loves the, the people we're worried about. God loves them. The people that uh, we're concerned about, God knows what his plans are for them. They each have their own relationship with God. We can trust him them to to his care we live for God's sake and I was just thinking as I was writing this this remember the old hymn what wondrous love is this oh my soul what kind of love is this that can overlook such behavior such attitudes that can deal with me from day to day and not at some point say I've I've had Scott I've had all I can take of you um, you've done you, you you just you don't seem to be learning you don't seem to be getting it you just uh, you know I've No. This is a wondrous love that it takes every sin I'll ever commit. I don't even know what those are yet, although he does. What kind of a wondrous love is this? Think to yourselves about how loved you are. By not not just, you know, I mean we love each other as best we can. We're you know, we're we're under grace. But think of the love that God has for you. How wonderful it is, how perfect it is, how necessary it is, how undeserving it is, and yet how pure it is. Powerful and wonderful, ongoing, everlasting, um, never failing. Oh, the depth, and the, this, is what, this is what the Paul who had this encounter with Jesus wrote this. Oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Understanding how wonderful, how magnificent, how amazing God is, how holy. Loving him for that and trusting him with whatever he takes. These are his ways. They're not our ways. But his ways are okay with me. If they're not my ways, they need to become my ways. Um, I don't have an alternative to God. I can't be walking along a parallel uh, course. His paths are beyond tracing out. The fact that I can't trace them out, it's supposed to be that way. It's not that, I, you know, that I'm not trying hard enough or something. It's that they, I, you just can't. His, his paths go so far beyond. So we trust him. Lord, you take us where you want us. I'm ready to go. Which gives us to a life where we're headed of complete trust in God and peace. Um, all the things that cause us distress, um, every tear is going to be dried. Everything that causes us to, uh, to condemn ourselves or to, uh, uh, to feel unworthy, uh, we can have that peace. All the worry, the fear, the things we're worried about right now, I, I'm worried about tomorrow. I have two deadlines tomorrow that conflict with each other. Um, something's something's got to give. I, I can't put 48 hours into a 24-hour day. I just can't. I can't have two parallel lives. Something's got to live. And yet, peace. I can live with it, Lord. Besides, the only reason I'm in this mess in the first time is that I disobeyed you. So, consequences. A life of trust and peace. I trust you. I trust you, Lord. You are mine. I, I give my life to you. You do what you want with me. Um, I might not understand it. It might not look right from my perspective. Um, It might look even bad to me. But I know you know what you're doing. 
I know you care for me. I know you're going someplace great. I know you've got my back. I know your grace is sufficient for me, and you will enable me to deal with whatever it is that comes my way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we acknowledge you truly as Lord beyond anything that we can understand, beyond the ability of human speech, beyond the ability of the human mind to grasp. This is a cause for rejoicing, not doubting. This is a choice, uh, a reason for loving you and drawing closer and not for, um, for fearing whether or not we've made the right choice. We love you just as you are. Help us, Lord, open our eyes to the things you want us to repent of. Open our eyes to the things we have failed to do in love and lead us, Lord, because we want more than anything else to be completely surrendered to you and have nothing hinder our relationship with you and nothing about us be standing in opposition to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.